space-time travelers, gratitude for you joining me on the trail to Summit to Soul Mountain. Thank you. My name is Ryan Witherspoon. This podcast is my story and my journey upward and onward through life to reach the summit of my soul. This is a place where I connect and converse with fellow humans on their own journey seeking soul potential. We talk about adventures and life lessons, health and wellness, spiritual pursuits, movement and breath, and we dive into philosophies to be better than the day before. Life is growth, my friends. Keep going. Today, I am joined on the trail with my enlisted sister, Jennifer Braxterman. Jennifer is the CEO of Nutrition RX, a registered dietitian and sports nutritionalist. She specializes in healthy eating, weight loss, eating disorder recovery, and developing positive relationship to food, exercise, and body image. Jennifer is a complete badass with a load of degrees and certifications in all things science, food, and nutrition, as well as a history in university varsity hockey, rowing, and a four times national, uh, national level CrossFit athlete. I welcome Jennifer Broxerman to the trail on Summit to Soul Mountain. What's Thanks going on, Jennifer? Yeah. I am so pumped to be here. Hell yeah. I'm happy to happy to be sitting down here with you. Yeah. We uh we got introduced through our level one certificate on enlifted coaches. And right from right from the get-go, your energy was just like super high. And I was like, yes, I, you know, I, I had a good feeling about you. You had a lot of great things to say and your interaction was was really good. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first question is I am curious what really brings enthusiasm to your soul around nutrition and how you got into the world of nutrition coaching? Oh, I love when people ask me this question. It almost was born out of a sad story and I wanted to turn it into something really positive and remarkable. So my dad nearly died when I was in high school of a very serious heart attack. We got called to the hospital. It was one of those heart attacks where they're like, he has minutes, he is not going to make it. You need to get in the car and, you know, kind of come down and say goodbye to your dad if you can get here in time. And it was, you know, Thanksgiving, like on Thanksgiving day, it was a terrible time for it to happen. And I just remember being so scared to lose him. And when he did pull through, I think he was in the hospital for about three weeks on life support, you know, touch and go a couple of times. I was like, what can I do to help stop this from ever happening inside my family again? You know, being a kid thinking I have full control over a situation like this, which as an adult, I obviously know that I didn't, but I thought, you know, what can I do to do my part to help? And so I started just reading more books about nutrition. You know, we were a fairly healthy family, but I didn't, you know, I was a kid. I didn't really think about what I put in my body. It's just food was food. What was on the dinner table was hopefully what tasted good at the time. And so I started to learn a little bit more about, you know, nutrients and the quality of what we put into ourselves. And as I got into my university years, I went into a degree that I wanted to keep my options open. So I knew I loved, well, I was a big nerd and maybe I am, I am still actually a big nerd as you can probably tell, but I loved science and I loved the idea of helping someone using my smarts in science. And I was like, well, that probably is going to lead me into a career in healthcare or medicine, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a doctor, but there was that whole 
prestige and status. And as we worked on our language in um, and lifted the shoulds, like, oh, if I'm a good student and I like science, then maybe I should mm -hmm. become a medical doctor. But I didn't like the pre-med students and program I was in. It was like cutthroat competitive where students would tear pages out of textbooks in the library that were on reserve that you couldn't bring home because they wanted that material just for mm. themselves to study for. I'm like, holy smokes, what is this breed of student I've never encountered before? Like, you guys are crazy. And as I got a little bit deeper into my program, I took a nutrition course as a fun science elective. I was like, I think this is just going to be really interesting. And so nerdy little Jen, I am three weeks ahead in my nutrition class. I'm literally like treating my textbook like it's a page turner. I just am at night, bedside light reading, being like, oh, what can I learn about this chapter in nutrition? What can I learn about this chapter? I am like four weeks behind in organic chemistry, and I just can't put this nutrition textbook down. So I went to our guidance department and I was like, this is just so interesting. It's so easy. It's so effortless. It's clicking. What can I do if I want to maybe do this as a career? And so I'm so grateful for that guidance counselor because they really did take the time to explore this passion with me. And they're like, well, I have really good news. There are tons of careers you can enter into if you want nutrition to be, you know, the main part of your job or the main focus. The bad news is if you want to become the medical designation of a nutrition coach, which is a registered dietitian, you went to the wrong school. We mm. cannot award you that degree because we're not accredited as a registered dietitian, you know, proper undergraduate training. So they're like, you have three places you can go in the province. You can, you know, go to these three schools and, and that's it. That's all. So as a varsity athlete, I was like, well, how do I put this together? So not only can I become a registered dietitian, but I can really excel as a varsity athlete. And so where I live today, London, Ontario, was the national training center for our Canadian Olympic rowing team. And it also has a university here that had the top a rowing team in Canada because so many of the Olympic rowers were also students at this university. And one of the weird ways I think about success is I don't want to be the big fish in the little pond and walk around like top dog. I always challenge myself to go into environments where I'm the little minnow with the big fish and the big fish can pull you up to their level. And so I've always found my greatest level of success when I get uncomfortable and I go to environments where I'm the new one and I don't know what I'm doing, but there's more experienced, successful people around me and almost through osmosis and learning and studying and working with those, you know, great individuals, you bring out greatness in yourself. And so it was the serendipitous of like the right elective with this great guidance counselor. And I'm actually here today because of like a great rowing and national team program. And I took a leap of faith and switched degrees and middle of my university career, switched out of this medicine program and into a nutrition and dietetics program. And now I get to do this, which is my passion. Um, I guess it's been 12 years. So it's gone by in like the blink of an eye and every day is the best day at work. I have to like pinch myself, like how do I get to wake up and talk to people about healthy eating and just having a really great relationship with food. So my dad's heart attack, very sad story into 
I have the love of my life for a job of what I get to do. And I'm so lucky that the right pieces fell Mm -hmm. into place to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Kind of a crazy ride to get here. It is, you know, and that's, that's the beautiful part about it is like, you never know what's going to come about, you know, and, and having such a, you know, a sad story to begin with, you know, Mm -hmm. it's really cool to see that you found purpose in that, you know, and then like we were talking about before we started recording is like just divine timing, everything just unfolds perfectly. Um, Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, So what is like, one of the things that I growing up for me, I just always heard about, you know, this diet or that diet, this one is a a better diet and stuff and diet, just everyone, whenever they were on diet, it was, you know, always kind of was like, I'm on a diet, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm curious what, how you perceive and what your perception is of like the difference between nutritional health and, and being on a diet. That is such an important topic to explore. And I I talk about this all the time with my clients. I think for most of us, we should actually just run as far away away as we can from the world of dieting. It causes so much more harm in the long run than good. So the way I really want my clients to work on their relationship with food is to approach it from an abundance mindset. And I mean, this can be applied to relationships, to finances, like abundance mindset just has so many powerful things that it can start to do in your life. And so the way we work on changing nutrition habits is we talk about what positive things can we add? And I'm going to get kind of university professor nerdy with you in a moment and talk about the science of like the psychology of behavior change. So let me give you actually an example. I'm going to ask you a question back to kind of help prove my point. If I said, okay, Ryan, I want you to take out, now what's something you really like that's maybe air quote, not the best for you or bad if we were to put a label on it? Is it beer? Is it pizza? Is it sushi? Is it chicken wings? I don't know. But is there an example food that, you know, comes to mind that you're like, oh, it, I know I shouldn't have too much of it, but I, I do like it. For me, I would say things like, like bread and pasta. Okay. So imagine I said, I want you to go today and have no pasta between today and the end of the weekend. So can you go the next three or four days, no pasta meals? Do you think you could have resolve to do that? I'm going to guess. Yes. Like, do you think you could go three days without having a pasta Mm -hmm. meal? Now, if I said, I want you to go three months, absolutely no pasta whatsoever, no bread, no pasta, no white carbs, three years. Mm-mm. Three decades. No. No. But if I approached it and said and said and, and came at it with what are some positive things that we could add? Do you think I'm going to hold up one of my props in my office that on your lunch tomorrow, we can try to get some veggies attached to your lunch? Just make sure that you add some veggies in. I'm not really overly focused at the moment what this part of the plate, mm-hmm. the protein and the carb part is, but just try to add some vegetables to your lunch. Do you think you could do that for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, the next three days um, in the weekend, just have vegetables Mm -hmm. with lunch? For sure. Probably. Do you think you could keep that up? Say 80% of the time, not perfect Mm -hmm. for the next three weeks. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. How about three months as that starts to become a little bit more of a routine? Absolutely. 
three years, lunch vegetables, 80% of the time, Yeah, yeah. three decades. Yeah. Can you feel the difference in pressure when we talk about taking things away versus we talk about adding? So if I said, hey, when you get up every morning, before you have, if you're caffeinated, start your day with some caffeine, a tea, a coffee. Can you just have a small glass of water first? You can still have your coffee. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But just drink water as the first thing, just to rehydrate after mm -hmm. a long night of sleep. And you add that good habit in. So when we actually, there's, I'm going to actually get nerdy and name these now. So this is the way we can approach goals. And in the scientific community, we call this an approach goal or an avoid goal. An approach goal, think of it like walking towards something that you want. You say, yes, I'm going to start to do more of, insert the behavior. So it might be like, yes, I'm going to try to add an after dinner walk a few evenings a week, as opposed to no, I'm not going to have ice cream or sugar or treats in the evening. Mm -hmm. So if I have something bad, then I've ruined my streak for the day where I might work on a goal with a client and say, Hey, let's try an approach goal with protein. How about thinking about our meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner that we're going to try to add a healthy source of protein. And here's a whole bunch of abundant different ideas that you can pick and choose from that, you know, could work for you that are seasonal and flexible and things you enjoy or things that you have available in your environment. And all you have to think about is adding protein to breakfast, protein to lunch, protein to dinner. And say you missed your breakfast protein. Maybe you're at a conference and all they have is danishes and hotel coffee and that's your breakfast. Well, no big deal because you can still get a point at lunch. You can still get a point mm -hmm. at dinner. Maybe you add that protein back in as one of your snacks. Cool. You still got three great servings of protein that day. But if I said, don't have any refined sugar today and you had that Danish at breakfast, well, screw it. Your day is already ruined. Mm -hmm. And so when you do a, a void based goal setting, people become very black or white, all or nothing. And they often stay stuck in the not doing anything a lot longer where I'll give you another sort of silly metaphor, but this one is like a light bulb that clicks. Think about it like brushing your teeth. So I'm going to imagine that you probably brushed your teeth yesterday. I'm going to put my mm -hmm. hand up and say, I did. Now in say the last year has there been a night that you've gone to bed and you haven't brushed your teeth before you went to sleep yeah hands up i'm gonna out myself that i've done that not often but like it happens mm -hmm. if say today's a thursday imagine if you didn't brush your teeth tonight how would you handle that on friday tell me exactly what you would do to handle that situation I'd brush my teeth in the morning yeah <laughs> you would just get up would you call yourself names and hate yourself all day long no nope would you call your dentist in a panic being like oh my goodness, you must get me in for an emergency cleaning. I did the worst thing ever last night. No. Nope. Would you go on a sugar bender all weekend and go, well, since I was bad, I guess I'm going to be really bad. But Monday, Monday's the day I brush my teeth again. Mm. Because you can just approach the goal yet again, you brush your teeth the next morning, you get the approach goal, something positive that you did and approach goals let you recover from a, a slip up really, really quickly. But let's go in the psychology of a diet. What do diets talk about? Mm -hmm. Everything you have to avoid, everything you have to take away. And so if you look at it just really as a, like, if you, I don't, again, we're recording, so you can't see the visual. I have three words over my head in my nutrition office. 
The first one says, be curious. The second sign says, be kind. The last sign says, be honest. So if we can just look at ourselves as curious, kind, honest beings, there is no need for an inner bully to come into the conversation and tear us to shreds. If we look at it very objectively, not judgmentally, huh, when I go on a diet and I go whole 30 and take away alcohol and bread and this and this, I can struggle through the month and then I binge eat the two weeks afterwards. Mm -hmm. Huh, that's an interesting pattern. Doesn't mean I suck as a person. That's just a pattern. Hmm, when I instead think about, can I add more vegetables? Can I add more protein? Can I add more walking? Can I add more breath work? Can I add a healthy bedtime routine? Can I add a glass of water when I get up in the morning? Et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Huh, that doesn't feel like so much burden and pressure. And I feel lighter and like I can do that for longer. Interesting. And then you just learn something about yourself and you either decide, did that experiment make it easier for me to be consistent and healthy? Or did that experiment make it a little bit harder for me to be consistent and healthy? What did I learn about myself? And there's really no right answers. It's just what's working for you in this stage of life that you're in, in the stresses and season that you find yourself, you know, dealing with day to day. So that's really how I talk about diets with my nutrition clients. And if we can run away from that, avoid no off limit thinking, usually most people are much more set up for success when they think about it abundantly versus mm -hmm. restrictively. Yeah. And that makes so much sense because when you're telling somebody not to do something and it just puts so much pressure on you, if you know, you have one little slip up of, you know, eating one pastry in the morning. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, whatever, you know, and you, you know, especially for me, if I do that, it would turn into, you know, a shaming cycle where it would, you know, perpetuate more, you know, like, right, like you said, you know, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, sugar binge for, for the weekend. And I'll start over on Monday. It's like, right. you know, when you can focus on just getting back on the horse a little bit easier, a little bit quicker, that makes things you know, so much more easy and, and then you can, you know, get back to your goals. Yeah. And it's funny. I use this word all the time because it's weird and it sticks out and it's sticky. I'll just go toothbrush and my slime, my clients will just kind of smile at me coyly. And they're like, okay, Jen, I get what you're saying. Like, yeah, if you didn't brush your teeth tonight, toothbrush, just go brush your teeth tomorrow mm -hmm. morning. That's okay. You had a pastry for breakfast, toothbrush. Can you mm -hmm. make lunch? a really wholesome, healthy, supportive meal that um, supports your goals and what you're trying to achieve in the long run. No shame needed. I don't know many people that like overly shame themselves for not brushing their teeth. And that's a really positive thing. And maybe I'll add one more layer of context to the toothbrush example. So this is often a really underlooked piece of the puzzle to behavior change. And you're gonna laugh because this is so connected to what we're learning about in Enlifted. But one of the things I teach in my nutrition one-on-one um, -on -one sessions is I'm holding up a picture right now called the iceberg of success. So it starts with the top layer, which is willpower. Mm -hmm. Then the second layer is knowledge. And then as we go deeper under the water, we get into our daily and weekly habits, a supportive environment, and our self-talk, our mindset, and the stories that we tell ourselves. So if I think about the habit of brushing my teeth, it really, yes, is a good habit, but there's a layer supporting me in my consistency. It's my bathroom environment. Mm -hmm. 
If I was a toothbrush robber and I broke into your place in the woods in Michigan, maybe I should give away where you live. <laughs> Ryan lives somewhere in the woods in the United <laughs> States, but pretty cool. I would guess your toothbrush and toothpaste are right beside the bathroom sink or they're in a medicine cabinet. Mm -hmm. Could I bet $10,000 and win my money back? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So if you had to make toothpaste from scratch every single night, or go to the corner store and buy a fresh toothpaste or toothbrush every single day, do you think you'd be as consistent if the bathroom wasn't set up with the tools you needed to make, be successful with that daily habit? So we under, um, we don't give credit. We don't realize that the invisible and built environment around us really shapes our habit. Mm -hmm. So what happens is people try to change behavior from willpower down, try harder, why did you screw up? Why didn't you just want it? Why didn't you stick to your goals? If we take pressure off of willpower and we work on our stories, our mindset, our self-talk, and we weave and build really supportive environments where the healthy choice is the easy choice, then our habits click. They become more effortless because our self-talk is working for us and our environment around us is supporting us. And that makes good habits effortless, or at least a heck of a lot easier. Right. But if I try to change my behavior with stuck stories and a shitty or poor mindset, and I have no supportive environment around me, good luck expecting willpower mm -hmm. to carry me through. So mm -hmm. that's, I think the other piece of why diets don't work is diets pump you up with willpower and they leave you to just die on the stake by yourself and going, well, that, that was you. Like, mm -hmm. why did you fail? Not, oh, we gave you a way of thinking and, and looking at food that was never going to set you up for success. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So I that's a that. kind of a long-winded rant or I forget the word we created in our a course. A rangent. That's my rangent a, on a diet tonight. Hey humans. Thank you so much for listening in today. I want to express some gratitude for you for being here and let you know that every Saturday I lead an online yoga class at 10 a.m. Eastern through Zoom and you are invited to join. Yoga is a powerful philosophy and practice for the mind and body and one of my biggest lessons from yoga is that how you do one thing is how you do everything. Merging the mind, the body, and the breath together on the mat and learning how to take that off the mat into daily life. Uh, you will leave this class feeling more energy in your body and mind. You will feel grounded and connected to yourself and to the earth and guarantee gratitude for your life as a human. So sign up through the link in my Instagram bio or through the link in the show notes and enjoy the rest of this podcast. Much love, y'all. just setting up the environment and it makes it that much easier because you know you don't have to think about it yeah you know and uh that was I can see the wheels spinning it's cool uh -huh. so uh, uh, you know I like to be very practical so it's nice to talk theory now let's kind of talk putting it into practice so that the listeners of mm -hmm. your podcast can really get some value so what might a supportive environment look like well for some people that is buying or chopping up their vegetables to have a vegetable container 
front and center in their fridge. It might mean that if you do take the time to grocery shop and prepare a nutritious meal that supports your body's goals, maybe you make an extra portion or two, maybe you're cooking for one or you're cooking for a family of two or four, double it. So if you're cooking for one, cook it like you're cooking for two. If you're cooking for four, cook it like you're cooking for eight. And I'm a big fan of having just glassware that you can easily pull from a pantry, fill up a healthy meal into it, pop it in a drawer in your freezer. And then that way, if you need a lunch or a dinner to warm back up, hey, I always say like, thanks, Jen of the past. You just mm -hmm. saved stressed out, busy Jen of today when you had a lot going on. Um, I have parents with young kids that are back in school where we'll make up a back to school bucket. So we'll have a bucket that the kids can decorate with stickers and their name and, you know, make it really creative. And then the parents will go to the store with the child and go, let's together pick out some parent approved healthy school snacks, but let's go buy a whole bunch of them and stick them in there. So you know that when you're helping mom or dad to pack lunches in the morning, you can be, you know, take responsibility and mm -hmm. go get good recess snacks from your healthy school snack bucket. Or it might mean that if you love nuts and seeds, but you struggle with portion control, maybe buying the little salad dressing containers or using, you know, Ziplocs and measuring spoons. And it doesn't have to be anal, but I'll, my husband jokes that my fridge looks like a little squirrel lives in it because the whole top shelf is like 20 little nut and seed containers. But I love them because I can grab one nut and seed container and then a, a fresh seasonal piece of fruit. And that's like my morning snack every day mm -hmm. is the fruit rotates based on what, you know, what's affordable, what's in season, what's local. But then I always have a thing of mixed nuts, but I wouldn't pull out pumpkin seeds, almonds, cashews, peanuts, you know, sunflower seeds. But if once a quarter, I buy a bag of each type of nut and seed, I dump it in a huge mixing bowl. And then I go scoop lid, scoop mm -hmm. lid, scoop lid, and then stick my containers on the top of the fridge. That makes it that makes it like the toothpaste and toothbrush is right beside the bathroom sink. And then I don't use willpower. My environment shapes the right. habit. Right. So it's just a different way of looking at how we mm -hmm. how we work through better nutritional choices. Yeah. And yeah. that, you know, and that makes everything easier to stay accountable, you know, when yeah. when it's like that and it's based like that. Like you just like when I walk into the bathroom. I can see my toothbrush and I know that it's there. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to over, over brush my teeth or I'm not going to underbrush my teeth. I just, you know, know what it, what it is there. And I, I can stay accountable with that. And going back to like the diet nutrition part is, is that the being on a diet is, you know, like we were saying is when it comes to an end, if after going on a 30 day diet, you go back into this pattern of binging for, for so long. Right. And then where like nutrition, having those, that set environment and working on those habits to, to be like that, like realizing that this is now like nutrition is the lifestyle that I want to, to live, you know, mm -hmm. and having all those environments to, you know, make it easier is like, okay, this is, this is just what I do now. This is not something I'm punishing myself with, or, you know, having shame around because, you know, I want to lose some weight or something. So I need to cut this out, you know, and then I do this strict diet and then fall back into that pattern after, whereas, you know, having these, these, this environment is a, you know, is now a lifestyle and, mm -hmm. and recognizing that, that frame of mindset around it. 
and the pressure starts to lighten like the pressure mm. you can feel it just come off your shoulders and you're not carrying the weight of the world of being perfect and following mm. the diet because there's nothing to follow there's just more that you want to do like good healthy things you want to do maybe more of an approach towards and then with clients I actually am very mindful about the way I talk about I'm going to use like air quotes bad foods and we take mm. the vocabulary of a bad food out of their diet and think about this like we're doing a really powerful mindset um, certification course right now that we're both involved in and words have so much power mm. over our thoughts our actions our behaviors so when I talk about what a diet would call a bad food, what we do instead is we divide foods into three categories. Foods we want to have every day, often, all the time. So I kind of call it the grocery list challenge or the, um, the grocery bill challenge. Like would I see this come up on your grocery bill every week? Yes, I'm seeing apples. I'm seeing Brussels sprouts. I'm seeing broccoli. I'm seeing salmon. I'm seeing chicken. I'm seeing eggs. Great whole food choices. Good job. Basically, nature made them this way. They're very difficult to binge on. And I'll give a couple examples in a second. And we know that they're great for our body, our cell, just inside and out. They give us energy and they support great long-term health. Then we're going to have some sometimes foods. Also perfectly okay. They are just going to fall more into the frequency of sometimes. So sometimes we might buy a boxed high grain, um, full grain, whole grain, high fiber cereal. Sometimes we might get a healthy granola bar. Sometimes we might use a protein powder or a protein bar to just get us through protein sources in a meal. Mm -hmm. That's totally fine. And then that third category is going to be our much less frequent joy foods. I want to have these foods joyfully as an experience. They're really meant to be more of an experience in my mouth or a social experience, more so than the nutritional value that they bring but that experience still brings value. Like when I take my little niece and nephew out for an ice cream cone in the summertime, that's an experience I don't wanna miss out on. I have joy in those moments mm -hmm. with my family members. Having pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving coming up is an experience. I don't wanna miss out on that and sit in the corner because I'm on a diet. Now, do I do those experiences every day? No. Are my bad because I have those? Not at all. And the moment you take away bad, guilt, shame, mm -hmm. they lose their allure to binge on them because there's a phenomenon in the nutrition research world. And it's for lack of a better word called the last supper effect. And it's this known thing that people do leading up to the start date of a diet. They're like, this is the last time I'm going out for pizza. This is the last beer I get to drink for a while. These are the last cookies I get to buy. And the last supper effect is correlated with binging and a loss of control and overeating. Where if I know that I can have cookies anytime I want, but I really just wanna think about which foods do I wanna approach? Which foods do I wanna have every day? That positive displacement, it's known as positive dietary displacement. I'm so full of Brussels sprouts and chicken and brown rice and glasses of water and a bowl of strawberries for dessert. I'm generally pretty satisfied that I don't necessarily need the chocolate ice cream, but it's in the freezer if I want it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I might recognize with curiosity, keeping it in the house is a more difficult food. So maybe I don't buy it without judgment. And then I only choose to go out for ice cream cones and with permission, have it joyfully as an experience mm -hmm. when I want, 
but maybe I recognize that keeping it in the house is a little more challenging and I'm not bad. The food's not bad. It's just oh, a reflection. Yeah. Every time I buy ice cream, I eat it in three days. Okay. That maybe doesn't work. Or for maybe some people, they do want it in the back of the freezer and it can sit there for a long time. And that's perfectly fine too. Or you buy it, it's gone in three days and you don't buy it for two months and that's okay too. So there really isn't a right or wrong. It's just like, what's, how is food working for you? Is it enriching and adding to your life in the way that you would want it to? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, you know, it, for me, you just hit the nail on the head because that last supper thing is like, I'll, I'll find myself doing that. If, you know, if I know that I've been getting carried away with too many foods or something, I'm like, all right, you know, next week I'm going to, I'm going to start doing this. You know, I'm going to focus on this a little bit and try and get these foods out of my house. And, but I'll know that I have this much, you know, candy or ice cream or something left over. So it's like, mm -hmm. all right, I gotta, you know, get rid of all of it, but I can't waste it. You know, I can't just throw it in the trash, you know, so I gotta eat it all or I gotta do that. Gotta this. use it up. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and then, and then feeling that level of, of shame around not allowing myself to have it when I feel I deserve it, you know, and, mm. and that creates a, a weird cycle and a weird pattern that, you know, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling happy. I've been doing good things, but now that I feel I deserve something, like I, I doubt myself, you know, mm. and it's like, no, Ryan, you can, you can do these things, you know? And, and that just puts me in a, a thought process of, you know, like you said, your grocery bill list is like having the consistency and stuff makes, you know, when you're, when you're super consistent with all your good foods over time, it's okay to, to have these other treats, you know, and, yeah. and not recognize them as something that you're cheating with or, or bad foods, having that negative thoughts. I think about all the time when I'm eating something, uh, Paul check would, would talk about is about like eating foods when you're angry or sad, or like, if you're about to sit down and have your dinner and you mm -hmm. just had an argument with somebody, you're like, no, don't eat your food with this, with this sort of energy, because that, that thought, that energy that you're putting on your food is going to be going into your body and you're going to be ingesting that energy and mm. stuff. It's like, get up, you know, clear your head, go for a walk, yeah, right. Yep, come get back, away, get away, come back and, and have a, a, a clean slate as you, you know, go to sit down and, and, and enjoy whatever you're eating. Hmm. You know, I wonder if you're open to it, you, you're making me think of a coaching exercise. I do a lot of the time in private, but how cool would it be to let your listeners sort of come in as a fly on the wall? And if you're interested in it, maybe I might actually do this exercise with you right now. I are, love you, that. are you game for a little experiment? I love that. Okay. So it's sort of a, a two part. So the first one is about checking in why we eat foods with the emotions tied behind it. So you were kind of saying like, okay, if I'm upset or if I'm sad, if I'm bored, if I'm stressed, if I'm anxious. Mm -hmm. So the game I often play, and I don't know if you ever played this game as a kid. Did you ever play the game when you were really little? It's a game of memory. 
So there's cards all flipped down and then there's pictures on the cards and you like turn, I remember this in like kindergarten, you turn one card over. I played, I played like, it not too long ago with, with a friend actually. With a, yeah. You're like a dog. And then you're trying to find the other card that has, and you're like, Oh, that's a candlestick. Okay. Put the candlestick and the dog down. Okay. The candlestick's there. The dog's there. Okay. Dog. Where's the other dog? You're, tr you're game, playing a game of matching. So keep that card game in mind. And then I'm going to give you one other metaphor or analogy. So I don't have kids, but parents are really good at this with babies. Or if you have a pet, pets make certain sounds that we learn to interpret. So I have a dog and she has a few distinct barks. She has a, I need to go pee bark. She has a, I urgently needed to go to the bathroom. Why didn't you let me out bark? She has a, there's someone at the door. I don't know bark. She has a play with me. Yep. She has a, I'm hungry, feed me bark. And my dog doesn't speak English, but I definitely know what each bark means. Or to use the metaphor of a baby, a baby doesn't yet speak the native language of its parents, but it has probably different cries that parents can pick up on. A wet diaper cry, a hunger cry, a cranky, tired cry, a, oh my gosh, I'm injured cry, uh, I need snuggles cry. Now imagine if a parent took a crying baby and was like, oh, should I breastfeed? Time to feed again. Oh, you're crying. Do you need a bottle? Food again. And they never checked the baby's diaper if it needed to be changed. They never cuddled it when the baby needed cuddles or they never put the baby down to sleep. If every time the baby gave a cry and they tried to just soothe it with food, a lot of the time they would be missing the mark of what the cry meant. So when we notice either stress or emotional or anxious or lonely or bored or anger or happiness or all the different emotions and we're like food. It's like dog candlestick. Oh wait, those two weren't supposed to go together. So I think about it as the, the hunger card is I call it the apple test. In this moment, are you hungry enough to eat an apple? And it doesn't have to be an apple. You get where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. If you're like, yeah, an apple seems really appealing. Then what you're sensing is probably hunger and it would be a good time to flip over nourishing food, a meal or a snack. But if you, you know, are like, oh, I really want to go eat a bag of candy right now. And you're like, would I eat an apple in this moment? And you're like, nope, doesn't seem appealing. Then there's an unmet need that just got flipped over. And you're trying to flip over the candy or the food card to deal with the card that was flipped over. Mm -hmm. So like a parent, you have to go, huh, my body's going, hey, there's something I need right now. Is it I'm stressed and a really calming walk in the woods would feel best right now? Is it I'm tired? And you know what? I'm not actually being that productive on the thing I'm trying to work on. Let's just call it an early night, go to bed, get a good night's sleep, and I'll come back to this in the morning. Is it I'm angry and I maybe need to express that frustration in a healthy way? Is it I'm bored and maybe a phone call to a friend or planning a weekend away or some kind of exciting adventure that doesn't come from exciting adventure on our taste buds with candy or whatever. So I often have clients go, hey, you don't suck. You're just using a really old patterning of I feel a way that's uncomfortable. And I've learned that if I flip the food card, I get temporary feeling good, numbness, high relief. But if we can get better at going, whoa, I'm craving something. Is this the apple test of like, yeah, I'm hungry enough to eat an apple. Oh, okay, good. It's time to go eat, time to go nourish myself. Or is there boredom, loneliness, frustration, anxiety, tiredness? Like what is there? 
And then we're just trying to match it with the right response. And then we don't shame ourselves if we accidentally use the food card. That's okay. It's a learned pattern. It takes a while to unlearn old patterns. But I'm getting better at going, I'm stressed. An after dinner walk feels best. Mm -hmm. Or I'm stressed. A hot shower and an early bed is going to help me out. Or I'm bored. What can I do that's interesting? I need mm -hmm. stimulation right now. Or I am fried and my brain is mush from today. I just need to go in the bath and you know listen to some music please no one talk to me i need the night off from other humans and the better you get at that and so i now use i deserve it because i used to be an i deserve it eater i did i worked hard on my exams i deserve a trip to go get some whatever i deserve ice cream i deserve candy i deserve chocolate i just go i deserve it okay what do i really deserve what do i need what's the unmet need here and then I say, okay, I deserve it. I deserve to be rewarded for my hard work. I deserve to have great energy. I deserve to be a great athlete. I work really hard at that in the gym. I deserve to have a fit and strong and healthy body. Whatever that right body size is for me is fine, but I deserve to have my best genetic body at this age and stage that I'm in because I do work hard at my nutrition and my exercise and my sleep. Doesn't mean I'm trying to control myself to weigh a certain amount on the scale, but I just deserve to have a healthy, strong, energetic body. And you gave me such a nice compliment when we came on this, which was Jen, like your energy, it really, you know, kind of caught my attention. And I just think about, yeah, I deserve to be energetic and productive. And if I use food in the wrong way and the baby's crying, but it really needed its diaper change, but I tried to give it its 16th bottle of the day. Mm -hmm. I'm not being a good, wise parent to nurturing what my body's asking for. Mm -hmm. So that's just a different way. I think of the card game and you're just, and now you're like a detective. It's not a shame exercise. It's like, huh, I'm craving candy right now. I wonder what's behind that. Cause it's probably not about needing the candy. Mm -hmm. What now it's a guessing game. And then it's like a riddle or a puzzle you're trying to solve. And it makes it from this like awful negative experience to kind of like a fun game you get to play with yourself. Mm -hmm. And that feels yep. less pressure filled as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're, you're learning so much about yourself in that process. I love that. Right. Um, so be curious, be, be kind, kind, be yeah. honest no need for an inner bully to be a part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's like you're creating space and clarity. You it's know? like you're creating space and clarity. <laughs> you know, and, and too, with, with all of that, the, the quick patterns of that instant gratification beforehand is like, that's like the grab, you know, eating, eating foods that whether they're, you know, whether it is an, you know, an apple or something that's maybe not as healthy as an apple, but it's still that gratification of, of a higher taste, you know, getting the taste mm -hmm. buds when that's really not what your body is wanting. It's wanting something to go relax or go on a walk or just, you know, a pattern disrupt. And, right. And that, maybe it just needs a deep couple breaths to just right. get it low and slow mm -hmm. and into the belly. And we know how good that feels when you practice it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that, it also makes me think about, I have a, um, I, I love like intermittent fasting. I, mm -hmm. I practice intermittent fasting throughout the week. And, and lately for about the past month, I've been doing a 24, a 24 hour fast every Monday. Cool. And, um, and that's one of the things that, 
I've been really coming to to acknowledge is like, okay, am I really hungry right now? Or the amount of times that when I'm just come home from my from my lunch break, I'm like just opening the fridge and just looking in there. I know that I'm not going to eat anything because I'm dedicated yeah. to this fast, you know, but it's like I'm just looking in there and I'll shut the fridge or I'll go to the pantry. It's, you know, and it's like, okay, Ryan, you're not hungry or recognizing what hunger actually feels in my body right. rather than just, you know, feeling bored and and wanting to do something with my hands and mouth and having a, a little stimulus. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this, this is something else. This is, this is a different, different thing that's coming up. It's not related to food. And uh, yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting game. And those, those analogies were, were great. Yeah. And when you gamify behavior change, so this is also the university prof in me, it just makes it so much more fun. So I don't know if I have this resource close by, but one of the games we'll play when we're trying to have someone add more whole foods in. So again, abundance, approachable setting is I have this little rainbow chart and there's about a hundred and 10 different brightly colored fruits and veggies on it. So we kind of categorize them by like the red fruits and veggies, the yellows, the oranges, the greens, the blue purples, and then the white category, like your cauliflower and garlic and onions and bean sprouts and stuff like that. And so what we'll have someone do when they've come from a long history of dieting and the first thing is they're like, okay, what am I cutting out? Like, do I have to cut out gluten? And I'm like, no, no. This first month, we're going to do it totally differently than what you're used to. We are going to see how many of these things you can add into your diet. So what you're going to do is you're going to hang this on your fridge and you're just going to go to town, adding them to your grocery list, adding them to the different meals and snacks that you're having. How high can you get your number? And when I work with couples, we even have an, an extra fun level of gamification where the two people in the couple will play it together and the couples will decide on a prize for each person, but the prize is only learn- earned if their significant other hits their minimum goal for their partner to get the prize. So I would be working towards my partner's prize and my partner would be working towards my prize. And it is amazing when there is healthy and positive social pressure of like, well, I don't want to not have like my variety and my colors and my wholesome fruits and veggies, because that means the person I care about won't get what they really want. And they're working really hard. So it might be like a massage or a weekend like away or whatever it might be. Right. And it's something that's within the budget. We're trying not to buy material things just for material things. But when you do add social support with this idea of gamification and abundance, it like supercharges it because we have three really positive things um, happening at once. A game, abundance, and social support. So it makes it like all the easier. And then they're like, wow, like my skin's so great this month. I had so much more energy. And they didn't once think about cutting out pasta, not having chocolate, giving up alcohol or wine or whatever it might be. They're just like, oh, I just got to eat. And like little kids are like, Jen, Jen, I got to 72 colorful fruits and veggies this month. I'm like, oh, when have you ever had a month with 72 different things? You're like, never, I can't think of it like that. And then they don't get bored of the diet after month one, because all they did was add and try new recipes and explore and be creative. None of that was restriction and bullying and negativity when they thought about food, the way I kind of got them to challenge their mindset. So it's really cool to see, see people blossom when you put them in the right mindset and the right environment. Mm-hmm. 
yeah and and doing things with a fun aspect to it just one it just makes everything better because you're having fun you can laugh about it, it takes the pressure off right and you know like you just you can learn better you know you're more open to receiving any information that's coming through because you're you're having fun it creates curiosity you're like oh you know how many colors i've never seen this color you know fruit before or that's right. that's one of my favorite things when I'm I'm pretty limited to the grocery stores where I'm living at now. But when I was living in Denver, we had this grocery store called Sprouts. And it was like, a, it was basically like a farmer's market. That was their oh, goal. Cool. And it was amazing. There was so many colors. And every time I went into the grocery store, it was like, what kind of strange fruit or what kind of weird thing can I buy this time? What have I not tried? What have I, what did I see last week that, you know, I didn't buy, but I was, I'm like, what you know and and it makes it fun i'm like yeah. how can i try this and sometimes you know you don't like it and, and that's okay too right you know yeah. and then but but a what lot a of playful like light-hearted it. fun energy to approach healthy eating mm -hmm. beats a diet any day of the week oh yeah yeah <laughs> oh man so so fun so exciting makes me want to you know go to the grocery store and just play around <laughs> that's great that's how it should make you feel, right? It doesn't feel heavy and oppressive and like we've put you in food jail. And that's what I think most diets do is they put people in a box. They limit them to the good food list. You're like, okay, I'm locked up in food jail. How long can I stay here? And then when people break out of jail, oh my goodness, oh, they go man. wild when they've broken right. out of food jail. So they know they're going to put themselves back in food jail on Monday or after the holidays or when the time is right. And there's always this like waiting for the food jail to come back. But what if you never had to experience food jail ever again? Mm -hmm. There's just frequent foods you want to put in your grocery cart every week, every day in your body. Foods that we have sometimes, totally fine. Enjoy foods, enjoy experiences. Also okay, just with more mindfulness around when we invite those joy experiences and foods in. Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. That makes me curious about, like I was saying with my, with my fasting practices, it's completely shifted my perspective on like all of the, all of the questions, how I eat, what I eat, why I eat, when I eat, where I eat, like all of these things. Um, it's just put a, a sacredness around food. Whenever I come to my meal, sitting mm -hmm. down at the table, it's like, presence you know this is what i'm doing this is what i'm doing for my body and stuff so i'm yeah. curious if you have any practices or rituals around eating food you know how yeah i do i really try i i don't remember if this was like michael pollan or where exactly i can't i feel bad that i don't know who to give credit to i always like to give credit where credit is due so not my original idea maybe came from michael pollan but can't say that with hundred percent certainty, but instead of like a full on like spiritual or uh, re religious prayer, I think about just sort of a quiet reflection of everything that the food went through to get to me. So the nutrients in the soil, the sunshine that went down on it, the water from the skies, uh, the farmers that worked so hard to grow it or to raise it, you know, the food handlers that supported the food's journey. And, and it also makes you see, see all the steps between ultra processed foods versus a more wholesome food. And then just this like moment of gratitude of like, okay, this thank you for this animal's life. Thank you for 
you know, this plant or whatever it might've been. Thank you for nourishing me. And of course, since getting ovarian cancer, which we don't need to really, we, I mean, I'm, I'm an open book, as I said, but I'm not here to have a, a woe is me or poor me story. That's, that's not my vibe, but especially since having, you know, a cancer experience, it makes you very aware of what you're doing to nourish your body. And, and this is a little bit silly, but I think of my white blood cells as my superstar Navy SEALs. And they are coming down the cafeteria line with their like lunch tray. And I'm the lunch lady going, <laughs> what am I fueling you up with to go back up to battle to make sure that that mm. cancer never comes back? And I had a radical remission. And my oncologist did not believe that food was at all connected to my survivability. I basically was told like, you have one of the most deadliest cancers. You have an 8% chance statistically of living to five years. Doesn't matter if you're healthy. doesn't matter how well you eat. doesn't matter any of those things. Unfortunately, you got bad genetics and a, a crappy luck of the draw. And I was like, maybe, or maybe there's something else I can do about this. And mm -hmm. I don't fully you know, know if I have that full power, but I can try. I can try my very best. And so now part of that ritual is just having that meditative moment of like, yes, this food really is helping my white blood cells, my body heal itself from the inside out. And I've touched wood, been cancer-free for like three and a half years. And they had, they still are in shock that I'm here. Uh, I did switch oncologists because he was just a major bummer and negative mindset kind of guy. And I've switched to a much better, more positive oncologist. And that alone for my mindset made such a big difference. So I guess part of my little food ritual is I legit think about being the lunch lady to the cells of my body of like, am I putting like a crappy lunch on their plate or something that's on their cafeteria tray that is just amazing for them to get back out there and do what they've got to do for me. So mm. kind of silly, but I think about those little guys every time I eat. Silly is great. I love that. That's <laughs> yeah. that, that power of, you know, vision is, is so powerful to, you know, see that and, and believe that it creates, you know, a deeper belief in, in mm. what you're doing. Yeah. That's One of the books that really helped is it's called the biology of belief. And it looks at very scientifically at the cellular level, when we change our thoughts, how we change the energy and the patterns and the vibrations and just the cellular activity inside of us. And you like, there's a woo-woo-ness to it, but science is catching up to being able to explain or prove the woo-woo, but whether you need the science or not, like I know definitely things happen with mindset and connection and who is, who is in our environment? What is in our environment? The energy that's around us. So I think it's pretty cool to meet awesome people like you. And here we are having this great conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm super grateful to, to meet you and have this conversation. Likewise. And one of the, one of the questions that I did want to ask you, which I, you know, I can kind of assume I know, know the answer. Um, but I wanted to ask what was the, the hardest mountain you've climbed and, mm -hmm. you know, in metaphor, my, you know, mountains are, I love, I'm a mountaineer. I, I climb mountains and, and that, that struggle of, of climbing a mountain and getting to the summit and overcoming and conquering stuff. Um, it's so powerful and translates back to my life. And so I'm curious what, what your biggest mountain is, um, how you conquered it and, and what that, what that was like for you. 
think your assumption is probably correct, but it was definitely that terminal diagnosis of ovarian cancer. So it came completely out of left fields. It was a week after my 34th birthday. Not only did I have one ovarian cancer, I had two at the same time. So I had a high grade serous ovarian cancer. It's a lot like a pancreatic cancer. You get it and you're dead really, really fast. It just grows super rapidly and kind of takes over. But I had this other kind of ovarian cancer called low grade, and it's like a tent caterpillar nest. So if you're in the forest, you've probably seen a tent caterpillar nest. It's like a web of fuzz and it just sticks and adheres to everything. And it took about five years to get diagnosed because I was so healthy. No one believed me that something was wrong. Like I was competing at CrossFit regionals. I was hiking epic mountains. I had squeaky clean blood work. I was a dietitian that ate really well, like legit, a super human athlete, superhuman, good eater, positive mindset. And I had it diagnosed in a colonoscopy because I was just so sick to my stomach and couldn't figure out digestively. I was like slow, mindful meals, chewing my food. Well, took out a lot of like processed foods. Like I was like, what else can I do? I've taken out most of the food sensitivities that people have. And then they're like, oh, you have an ovarian tumor that's growing into your colon and you have cancer in your colon. That's why you feel so sick to your digestive tract. I was like, no, that would explain why I'm so sick. So that was so serious. I was rushed into surgery. A few weeks later, they crushed my nerve by accident in the operation. So my major femoral nerve that ran down my right leg got smushed. So I woke up with a limp paralyzed leg, like a piece of jelly. It just like, didn't move. They were skeptical if I'd ever regain like my range of motion in my leg. And they're like, yep, say goodbye to your crossfitting days. You're not going to hike a mountain. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to plant a vision of surfing on a surfboard in Tofino by next summer. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I was surfing seven, eight months later in Tofino, having the time of my life, hiking mountains out there. I was like back to CrossFit within a few months, carefully, you know, staged myself back up and was told to get my will and my affairs in order. And they sent me home basically with like, uh, what's the word? Like a palliative death sentence. Like we'll keep you comfortable, but just know that this is going to grow back and grow into all of your all of your internal organs. This is how people die. It involves their liver, their digestive tract. Be prepared that that's going to be how like your end is coming. So enjoy your life, but it's probably not going to be very long. And I remember very distinctly, I think I actually said this to the oncologist and I said, I believe my diagnosis of cancer. I don't believe my prognosis. So, you know, he, I was like, what are the odds? And he's like, well, you know, it's 8%. And I was like, well, someone has to be the 8%. And I distinctly remember saying that to him, like someone is part of the 8%. Why not me? And I made this list. I read lots of different, both peer reviewed scientific journal articles on ovarian cancer, survivability, nutrients in food, nutrients and spices. And then I went fully into the woo woo books of like people who kicked cancer's ass. And I was like, I just need to surround myself with success stories. Remember I said, I like to be the little minnow among sharks. I was like, someone out there is a shark that's crushed cancer against like terrible odds. I want to swim in that pool. Like get me into that, that group of people. And that's what I immersed myself in. And I meditated every day on my white blood cells, hunting down cancer and just like mm -hmm. killing it, 
I did some really awesome Reiki work with a Reiki practitioner where I felt like a dishwasher was like swirling inside of me and just like cleansing out cancer. I put myself in the woods as much as I could to breathe in like the terpenes and trees. So like the nerd and scientist in me is like trees produce this like particular substance that's no one to reduce cancer. And then the woo-woo part was like, just giant your heart's calling for the trees. Don't overanalyze it, go to the woods. And I just like went to the woods as much as I could. And I thought every day about three words, love, joy, and happiness. And I thought, how can I give my body, my environment, my friends, just everything around me, if I ripple fear, probably it's going to bounce back at me. If I rip, ripple stress and, and anxiety about this, it's going to hit a mirror and bounce back at me. And if I think about almost being like a radio that's broadcasting love, joy, and happiness, maybe good things could happen. And yeah, I had my PET scan that my oncologist like talked to me, tried to talk me out of. He's like, I don't know why you want to pay for this. This is a waste of money. It's just going to tell you that the cancer is still in there. His jaw kind of like hit the ground when it was like, we can't find one speck of cancer. And they have not been able to find one speck of cancer since like four months after my surgery. So I can walk, I crossfit, I hike mountains. I have a great time with the people I love. And I still think about love, happiness, and joy. And the other thing, this will sound maybe a little silly on a professional level, but I was like, I can't die. I have too much work I need to do with the way I think about nutrition. Because I think I think about nutrition a little bit weird compared to how the average messaging is. I was like, I need to level up big time and get on stages and platforms and opportunities where I can now share the way I talk about nutrition to many people. Cause I've always been talking about it one-on-one. -on -one. And when I would do Reiki, my throat would really vibrate. It was weird. And I just was like, nope, my calling is I need to show up and level up how I talk about nutrition. And so on the other side of cancer, I created this really beautiful, amazing nutrition certification course so as a dietitian, I was able to get it accredited, which means you're insurable and safe and competent to go coach nutrition with this accreditation. But it basically teaches people everything and anything of how I like to work through nutrition in my private practice. It's what I use to onboard all the nutrition coaches who work for me. But it's basically created this like army of nutrition coaches who are just speaking about nutrition in a much more positive way helpful anti-diet culture, anti-disordered eating way to help the public improve their own relationship with food. And the number of people that have like found their way back to me and was like, my coach got certified. They changed my life. I now want to take your certification because the way they coached with your stuff, like, and then those people are changing lives. And I just feel like these, and I use the Care Bear is my silly little icon. So the story of the Care Bear is when I would work with nutrition clients, this is a little weird, and I didn't always tell them I was doing this, I could tell when people needed to be filled back up. They were just down and hard on themselves. Their bully had ripped them to shreds. And I would always in my nutrition appointments picture a little care bear of love and rainbows and happiness and support and calmness. Like whatever they needed, I tried to just like, energy wise, give that to them. 
And when I had cancer, I felt like, oh, I'm going to get emotional. Every person in my life I had met up to that point that I had positive relationships with, the Care Bear uh, vibe had a mirror that reflected it back at me. Mm-hmm. And it was like 5,000 people, Care Bear stared me at once. And there were days I felt like I could feel cancer cells popping. Like there was this weird popping, tingling. And I was like, I think someone's thinking about me right now and they're helping me beat cancer. And then there were days where I could just, I had a community of people come together and I was like, they just killed some cancer inside of me. I don't know how else to explain it. I sound like I'm totally, totally crazy. I don't even care. And it was just the most beautiful journey of healing and it was love and happiness and joy and I was in an environment of people that believed in me and I believed in me and so here I am today and that's how Prosper Nutrition Coaching came to be which is my certification company now so Nutritioner X is where I do the work one-on-one with clients in their own relationship with food but I wanted to empower coaches who work in the healing and nutrition and wellness and fitness space to have better energy and words and methodology in the way that they coach clients to eat better. And so there's the science nerd in me, and then there's all this other energy, positivity, mindset, environment stuff embedded into the course. And I just, I knew I couldn't die from cancer because I couldn't let that die in my brain. I was, I needed that to be out in the world. My work wasn't done. Mm, kind of crazy but I love it (laughs) that's an amazing and wild wild mountain and yeah you know I'm so happy to for you to share that and because I'm I'm lit up I can feel it in my body and that you know the inspiration and like I'm just so happy that you know you're here and thank you and and it's you know climbing that mountain in the way that you you climb that mountain with such positivity and such devotion and such, you know, a a vision that, you know, this was not the end for you. Like you were, Mm -hmm. you were getting past this mountain and, and like a lot of things are are coming through to me of just how powerful, you know, food is medicine. Mm -hmm. You know, that is like, that's the real, that's the medicine. And then tied in with, which I, you know, resonate a lot with, with, you know, you, you can call it, people can call it woo woo stuff and all this, but like, that is just the science that has not been, you know, fully validated yet, but it's, right. it's all there, you know, and Dr. Mm-hmm. Joe Dispenza is doing a lot of work with this and like, it's just so, so powerful to like recognize that as, you know, like that was, it's huge, you know, and the, yeah. the way that you believed in yourself and, and moving through that. It's very, very beautiful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I got, I got one more question for you before we wrap this up. That, uh, that hour flew by, <laughs> and uh, it was amazing. And so, Summit to Soul Mountain, Soul has been a quest for me, and is, uh, is, is a never-ending quest. You know, I, I don't really. I'm not sure if I will ever fully understand soul to mm-hmm. what what its full potential is. I think it's it's a never ending mountain of of climbing that. And um, so, well, and how fun is it to climb mountains? Like, right? 
Mount, no. Mountain climbing is so much fun. I don't yes. want it to end. Right. You know, and, and there's always another mountain to climb. That's, that's yeah. one of my, my, my best, best parts about mountain is when you get to the summit, you're like, Oh, what, what's over there? You know, yeah. what's, what's, what's beyond this. And, uh, so I'm curious what your interpretation of soul is. Mm, that is such a good question. I think it's the most beautiful, most full of love, best version of ourselves mm-hmm. in whatever way you want to interpret that. I don't think it needs to necessarily be religious. It's just that, that highest potential, best beaming with love version of ourselves. That's what I think soul is. Love that. Mm-hmm. Beaming with love. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me on the trail and, you know, sharing all of your wisdom around nutrition and your story. And it's been a beautiful journey. Thanks for having me. What a fun, like you said, hour that just flew by. And thank you to all you listeners uh, for being a part of Ryan's podcast as well. Thank you so much. Thank you everyone for listening remember your environment initiates your habits i really enjoyed connecting with jennifer here she made nutrition very fun and easily accessible when you allow it to be she offered really great practices to start on a nutrition nutritional lifestyle if you enjoyed this podcast too please click a rating before you go and leave a comment i want to hear from you For all of you gym owners out there that are currently bringing or want to bring nutrition coaching as a service at your training center, please dive into Jennifer's websites. Head over to prospernc.com for info on her Prosper Nutrition and Business course and find the rest of her information and links in the show notes. Um, Again, thank you so much for listening and tuning in and I will see you on down the trail, my friends. Big love.